You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So, Mercy's Door, you will remember that we are in, that we're in the Feast of Booths. We have been for the last couple of weeks. It kind of started with Jesus' brothers trying to tempt him to go in their timing to the Feast of Booths. He'd been avoiding the region of Judea for like a year because the last time he was there, he healed somebody on the, on the Sabbath and got into a verbal sparring match over that. He made himself equal with God, and they started trying to kill him. They wanted to kill him. We're searching him out. So he'd been in the outskirts of town doing ministry over the last year, and he has re-entered into Judea during the Feast of Booths. They're still seeking to kill him. They're still looking for him. And what does Jesus do last week? He goes into the temple in the middle of the feast, and he starts to teach powerfully so that all, everyone is in awe. And so the tension increases as that some people had believed in him while others sought to kill him and arrest him. And the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they had sent officers to go and arrest him. And, and, and Jesus is telling them just a little while longer, and I will be going back to the place from which I came from. He's talking about his death and his ascension. And so last week, we kind of worked our way through that, and we saw the way that Jesus kind of helped us to see the contrast between the manifold wisdom of God that he embodies and our own folly for those who are wise in their own right. And we saw and we gloried in the power of the Holy Spirit to actually make us wise in the matters of Christ, and then we cautioned against the power of the flesh to do the opposite, to cause us to mistake our own passions for the Word of God. And we saw the difference that Jesus draws between a self-made godliness and a righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit. And with that recap, I want you to know that all of this informs the way that Jesus speaks today, okay? So this is a continuation of the same sequence of events at the same feast, okay? So let's not divorce those things from what we're going to hear from Jesus today. When he says this, on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified." Now, John takes special care in in the beginning of this section to note that it was on the last day, the great day of the feast. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was the seventh and the last of the sacred feast that was given by God in Leviticus 23 to the people. He had led them through the desert wilderness from Egyptian captivity into the promised land, but for 40 years his leading was through a desert wilderness where he would have to provide for them supernaturally a great many host, a great huge host of people hungry and thirsty in the wilderness, their God going before them in a pillar of cloud and fire in order that he would provide for them. And then when he would move, they would follow him. And when he would stop, they would set up camp in these little booths, right? These temporary dwelling places. And to this day in Israel, you will see that during the Feast of Booths, they still set up these little booths next to their houses with the thatched roofs, and they dwell in them for a week. And they still keep this feast of remembrance of the way that the Lord provided for them in the desert wilderness. Well, during this feast, during this seven-day feast of 
remembrance, eight-day feast, there would be a routine, a ritual that, again, still happens today where proceeding from the temple, the priest would exit through the water gate with a golden pitcher, and he would make the long walk to what was called the Pool of Siloam, and he would dip the gold pitcher into the water, and he would carry it from the pool back the several hundred meters to the temple with a big procession and parade behind him, singing Psalms 113 through 118, the great psalms of praise, as he marched back to the temple. And when he would get back into the temple with his pitcher of water, he would pour out the water around the altar, and it would splash on the stone around the altar. And this would be a symbol during this feast by which he would call the people to remember the way that the Lord drew water from the rock, the way that the Lord made the bitter water sweet during those days in the wilderness, the way that the Lord provided for them. And water is a symbol for the Jews, always has been, of that which comes from heaven. And so in pouring out this golden pitcher of water from the pool around the altar, it's this remembrance that down from heaven came our provision. Down from heaven was our thirst met in those days in the wilderness. And so for seven days, the priest would do like so. But on the eighth day, on the great day, on the last day, the day that we are in this morning, there would be no such ceremony. On the eighth day, the priest would not exit through the water gate. He would not walk down to the pool of Siloam. He would not fill the golden pitcher, and he would not pour it out around the sacrificial altar where sacrifices had been offered all week. And this, too, was symbolic. And in it, it was symbolic of the remembrance that this prayer that they would pray each day while they poured it, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, as they poured out the water, this, for a time, for the seven days, was a prayer of remembrance that they, for 40 years, called on the Lord to save and deliver them. But on the eighth day, there was no need because this was the day to remember that he delivered them across the River Jordan into the promised land that was overflowing with milk and honey. That on the eighth day, their prayer was answered. But on this day, the prayers would continue. No water and the prayer would be, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. Not a prayer of remembrance, but a prayer looking forward. Send again, Lord, not the water from heaven to meet my physical needs, to meet my physical thirst, but send me your promised Messiah. Lord, rescue us as you've promised to do with our eternal rescue. And so I need you guys to picture it this morning as I set, this, set up this picture, that the priest for seven days pouring out this water in the very temple where Jesus himself in the middle of the feast had set himself up to teach on this eighth day. No pitcher, no water. This is the great day where no water would be poured out. And he hears the cries of the people, Lord, save us, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. And sitting right there is the Messiah, the one that for all these years they've been praying for. And so Jesus stands up and he cries out with a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, church, you are thirsty. 
Guys, you're thirsty. You've been thirsty your entire life, and some of you guys have been drinking up everything you can get your hands on trying to quench this thirst. You have exhausted every avenue of sin, just drinking up dirty water, hoping that it will satisfy you. Or you have drank up what different type of sin, a self-righteousness, done every good work you can set your mind to and busied yourself with trying to become something, trying to be enough in order that you can satisfy this deep thirst within you. And Jesus is calling out and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. You see, the one who put the thirst within you is the only one who can quench that thirst church. This thirst within you crying out that you would be filled, that you would be truly satisfied, that you'd be truly known, that you'd experience true belonging, that you would have true righteousness, true acceptance, true holiness, true identity. These deep desires of your heart that just have you calling out, I'm thirsty. Christ himself has entered the picture to satisfy that thirst. Church, I see really two things happening in the church and outside the church. Outside the church, it looks like kind of what I described, right? Where we're clearly thirsty because we spend our lives searching. We spend our lives just devouring, consuming whatever it is that we think will fill us up. And it doesn't stop the day that you receive the Holy Spirit. Each moment in the Spirit, certainly it ceases. But then day by day in the battle with your flesh, you turn from the fountain of living water and again return to just drinking those things that fail to satisfy. But before you've really tasted the fountain of living water, what you find is that you either tell yourself you're not thirsty because like a crazy person, we just over and over and over again, just like an addict, are just like, just, just a little bit more. I know that the last time I drank this, I was just thirsty again. I know that the more I drink it, just seems the thirstier I get. But just a little more, maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit greater, a little bit darker, a little bit lighter. If I work harder, if I delve deeper into this sin, finally my thirst will be quenched. And if you've never tasted the sweet water, the, the river of living water, anyone in here, if you've never tasted it, if your whole life has been a story of thirst and you have called out to God, again and again and again. Lord, if you would only this, or Lord, you, if you would only that, and you feel like you are praying to a stone wall, to a deaf God, I want to say to you that you probably are praying to a stone wall and a deaf God. Because what I know about my God, what I know about Jesus Christ, is that he stood up in the crowd and he said, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. That's his thing. So if you are calling out for water and water is not being produced, what I know is that you're not praying to Jesus. That's not who you're talking to. 
And what I've seen in the church is that we oftentimes will fashion for ourselves a God that looks a little like Jesus. We talked about this over the last several weeks. We will fashion for ourselves a God of our own creation. He looks a lot like us. He thinks a lot like us. He wants us to have everything that we want to have very conveniently. He wants for us everything that we want very conveniently. And his primary job is to deliver for us the things that we think we need and the things that we think we want. And so I've got this Adam-shaped God, and when I ask him to do what I made him to do, he doesn't do it. I shake my fist at the Christian God as if he's not answering my prayers, but I'm not even talking to him. I'm talking to a God of my own creation, and so naturally all I hear is my own words bouncing back at me. And so I caution you, church, if you are calling out for something to drink and you are not receiving a cup of cold water, the first thing worth asking is, who am I asking? Who am I asking? Number two would be, why am I asking? Because the reason why you'll ask Jesus is because you thirst. He said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. He will be satisfied. So who are you asking and why are you asking? Is it because you're thirsty? Because we're going to meet a people this morning who aren't thirsty and we're going to meet a people who are and there's a difference between them and i know that our instincts are to say man we're the we're thirsty ones right but there's a person in this room he's the most common christian that we'll run into when it comes to doubt and unbelief and don't think that i'm above this because and neither are you okay where we start to believe that Jesus is there for our initial thirst, for in that moment of salvation, that prayer that you prayed that day at church or whatever it was, but that after that, it becomes a relationship of participation where he kind of carries the water halfway to you and then you meet him halfway to retrieve the pail and that your ongoing quenching of your thirst is something that you do by participation with him. It's something that you earn. And so there are a lot of us who through guilt and shame, through feeling like, gosh, Jesus saved me and I haven't lived up to the life that he would have me live. I haven't reflected the life of a child that I think that he would want me to live. I haven't necessarily looked like the image of a son of God in all of the ways that I know that I ought to. And so in this way, I am either denying myself from coming again to the fountain of living water, and this one's super common, guys. If this is you, let yourself hear it. That somehow it's an act of righteousness or an act of holiness for you that you would beat yourself. Somehow serving penance in some way. That you won't come and drink again from the fountain of living water because somehow you haven't cleaned yourself up enough to feel righteous enough to drink from that pool again that you don't want to overuse the grace of your God as if you could. And so as you withdraw from him and try to clean yourself up, one of two things happens, and I guess I need you guys to hear it. 
because I sure need to hear it from you. The day that you start believing that you need to clean yourself up before you can return again to the fountain of living water, you have started to believe that one can clean himself up to become worthy of the fountain of living water. And now you have rejected the very foundation of the gospel that we don't earn our righteousness, but that it is given to us as a free gift of grace by faith alone in Christ alone. And so while it certainly doesn't feel like pride to sit around and feel guilt and shame and beat ourselves up trying to earn off or pay off our sin debt in order that we can approach living water, what we are communicating to God is that that can be done. So let me remind you again this morning that the grace that you first received is the grace that you daily need and you never get to the point, church, where you are interacting with God in a partnership where you have to do your part before you can drink freely to your heart's delight of the grace that is available to you in Jesus. There is no charge that somebody can bring against you. There is no evidence that anybody can bring against you that could make God change his mind because his eyes were wide open the day that he set his saving affection on you. So drink and drink until you are satisfied. Come again daily to the fountain of living water. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, whom you have received. You know, we talked about it just this morning during announcements. Some of y'all are waiting on water baptism because you don't feel like you have reached the certain level of Christianity, like even leveled up to the point of being worthy of baptism, or that you haven't leveled up in your Christianity to the point that you expect that God would answer your prayers, your cries for the living water. We haven't leveled up to the part that you feel worthy to be serving the bride of Christ or to be doing whatever. As if the story of your walk with Jesus was ever about what you do and what you bring to the table. Here, Jesus is talking about a heart that has flowing rivers of living water, describing the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, what we are talking about is the Lord God, the God who chose you, pouring out his Spirit upon you and bringing your heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that his Spirit communes with your Spirit and testifies to you day by day that you are my child, that you are a child of God. That's the Holy Spirit in you, a gift of God to you. That is the stream of living water that flows from your heart, the Holy Spirit. So that every moment, church, that you do anything that glorifies the King, it is the King glorifying himself by his Spirit through you. He takes all the credit. He takes all the glory, which means you have all the weight and all the pressure off. It's not about you. It's about him. It's always been about him. But some of us won't drink because we feel like we have not assisted him enough in either paying off our sin as we do penance and punish ourselves for our guilt and our shame as if the punishment of Christ was not enough. And I say to you, repent, for that sin is far greater than whatever it is that you won't let go. 
that you would say to Christ that he needs your help to pay off your sin. Every time that you say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, elevating yourself above your creator, that yeah, he and his lesser standard can forgive me, but my higher standard can't forgive myself. Church, stop. This is a great sin of pride to say to your God who is perfect and holy and has forgiven you that somehow you can't forgive you. Self-forgiveness is not a requirement to drink from the living water. His forgiveness is, and he offers it to you freely. So come and drink. That is the spirit in you calling you to drink, pouring out that river for you again and again. So drink. Let's see what happens now. So they hear this. Jesus says, stop pouring out the pitcher around the sacrificial altar. I'm your sacrifice. I'm your living water. And they say to him, they start to hear these words. Some people said, this really is the prophet, verse 40. Others said, this is the Christ, verse 41. And some said, it is the Christ to come from Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. And so there was this division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, and yet no one laid hands on him. Verse 45, the officers come to the chief priests. These are the ones that were sent to arrest him last week. And they said to them, why didn't you bring him? And the officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. Couldn't, I couldn't do it. Have you heard him? I'm not grabbing that guy. Something's happening here. And I just wonder whether or not we will let ourselves hear him speaking the way he's speaking and remark the way that the officers would. You know, there were times where Jesus would speak in such a way that the people would be like, let's grab him. That was a few weeks ago. And then here Jesus is speaking in such a way that those who went to grab him were like, I can't touch him. And I just wonder if this morning Jesus would have you look at him in such a way where whatever it is that you thought were thinking, that you can handle him, that you can mold him, that you can make him into something that he's not, that you can handle him, that he'd say, take your hands off look, really look, listen to what I'm saying. Take and drink. You know, this soul-satisfying drinking of the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus upon yourself in the Holy Spirit, this experiencing of renewal by the washing of the blood of Christ in the Holy Spirit is what you were made to experience. That thirst that you are feeling, church, that thirst that creeps back in as you turn again to your flesh. You were made to turn to him. And the Holy Spirit that only ever does the will of God is consistently and constantly prompting you again and again to go back to the source of your living water. I want to invite you this morning to do that this morning in your heart as we look at what the opposite reaction is. Because this is what happens. Why didn't you bring him? 
The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. So their response first is to say, don't, you can't believe that. Don't let yourself believe that. That's hogwash. That's foolish. You've been deceived. And I know that that is the first thing that we start to believe when we start drifting away from the fountain of living water in order to drink again stagnant mud water that has only ever made us sick. Is we start to hear these words. You've been deceived. He's not that good. He's not going to do what he said he's going to do. He's not who he said he is. He's not all that. You need to provide for you. You need to take care of you. That's what we're believing. That's the first thing. Number two is they say, have any of us believed in him? Yeah, the crowds are, but look at, but we're the religious elite. We're the religious authorities. We're the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes. We haven't believed, so that's your sign. And some of us are turned off from looking to the fountain of living water because we are looking at religious folks and seeing how they interact, or I should say don't interact, with the fountain of living water, and we're taking our cue from them. That's what they would have the officers do here. Take your cue from us. We're the religious folks, and we don't believe. Follow us. Well, guys, if we're surrounded by religious folks who love to talk about the laws of God, the commands of God, they can quote scripture left and right, but they will not drink from the fountain of living water. They have not experienced the grace of Jesus, but they can tell you, or they can quote you a systematic theology, or whatever, I'm telling you, they're leading you astray. They're leading you away from the Lamb. And here the crowd, he says that the crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Well, for these folks, the law has been accursed to them. They've memorized it. They're searching it. You know how ridiculous it would be if Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, stood in front of you this morning in all of his glory, the Spirit testifying to him, descending on him like a dove in the, in the Jordan River, and you were like, what town do you come from? Because that's the test. Because you can't allow that your Savior would come in any form than how you understood it and what you, and like, it's a joke what they're doing here. They are willfully ignorant. So Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, you guys remember that sermon, who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see, no prophet arises from Galilee. For them, they couldn't let Jesus be Jesus because he didn't fit in the box that they had drawn for themselves. Jesus didn't come from Galilee, but that wouldn't have mattered, would it, for these folks? They were going to make it not fit, no matter what. Otherwise, I suppose Jesus could have just said to them, oh, no, no, you're just confused. I was born in Bethlehem. I was just raised in Galilee and cleared that up for them as if they were going to be like, oh, we worship you, king. No. And that's why we don't academically ascend in preaching the gospel to people or we don't like we use apologetics to try to like reason with them or whatever. What has to happen is the fountain of living water has to be poured out on them. How did Jesus say that we would drink from this? Read it. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, 
As the scripture has said, it's out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The prerequisite to drink from this well is faith alone in Christ alone. I can't encourage you enough to lay down religion, to lay down your good works, to lay down your penance and your self-deprecation, to lay down your guilt and shame, and to come again to the fountains of living water by faith alone and receive Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection on your behalf. This is who we're called to be. And when you go out there to a people who are desperately thirsty like you once were and like you often are, the message on your lips is this message alone. All, who, who, all of those who thirst, come and drink and believe in the Son. And that is my simple charge this morning because it was the simple charge of Jesus to this crowd. It's just to say, come and drink. Mercy's door, come again and drink. That's it. One point sermon. <laughs> Jesus did it. If you don't know how, so maybe if you're like looking for the takeaway, looking for the practical here, you want to go drink, but you don't know how. Let me just say this to you. There will be a day that you will stand before your king. I want to make this as black and white as possible. You will stand before your king, and you will answer to him either for the record of your deeds or the record of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the account that you will make before your king. Father in heaven. If your hope before the judgment seat of God is that there is one who stood in for you, that's what you drink day in and day out, that you forsake your own lesser righteousness and you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That your sin would drive you to him. That acts of righteousness would drive you to him. That all of it would just point to him. That's what it means to drink and partake in him. And that means anything other than that requires your repentance. That you would confess that to the Lord and say, I have turned again to my righteousness. I have turned again to my sin and my filth. I have turned again to to, to my good deeds and I lay it down and I come again to the throne of grace that I might drink. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray together to that effect now. You are going to confess with me the dirty water that we have been drinking, spit it out, and drink again from the fountains of living water, church, because that invitation is eternal. And then you're going to turn to a brother or a sister in this room and you're going to know the ways that they've struggled with their faith and you're going to know, because you've talked about it in GC and you're going to speak the gospel again over them that they might drink it up as it flows from your heart for them, okay? And then we will take communion together. First, let me pray over you and then let's do business with God.